Thank you for that warm welcome. You put your best face forward last night in having Scott come pick me up at the airport. That was good. It was kind of, it was a very eerie, different kind of eerie, but an eerie ride coming over the lake. It was quite beautiful and dark, but it was dark. It was nine o'clock at night. Kind of strange looking, but beautiful. I'm great. I feel right at home. I feel right at home with some men that are as tall as me in this congregation. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brian, for instance, and this young man over there. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I, lo- I woke up this morning to Music of Faith on the radio. That was awesome. Um, they had three versions of the Gloria, two of which I've sung before in the choir that I'm a part of in Spain. So that was wonderful to worship God and to glorify His name this morning with the radio program, Music of Faith. I don't know what station that was on, but I loved it. It was great. And uh, so I feel at home. My first order of business before I bring God's word to you this morning is to give you a heartfelt thanks. I am, and my wife Marilyn, on behalf of us and our children, and on behalf of my brother Steve and his wife Mary, who have served in Cambodia and now Thailand for 29 years, on behalf of my parents Cliff and Marlene Westergren, who were Alliance missionaries for 42 years in Cambodia and in Hong Kong and through Kama Services, for my grandfather, Ed Westergren, who came to faith through the ministry of the Christian Missionary Alliance in uh, Southside Chicago at a- in A.W. Tozer's church. I want to thank you for those of you who, over time and generations, have given faithfully to the Great Commission Fund. You have made possible for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in different lands. And in my family's case, in very different continents. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's the first order of business. Thank you so much. This video that we're going to show now before I preach is a short video that will serve as a thank you to you to show what you have made possible in these last four years. To give you a brief update, introduction to who we are because most of you don't know me from Adam. And to help you see what you've made possible and it's a lot faster to do it than me speaking. So let's watch the video. Thank you again. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, I will not be preaching an expository sermon this morning. It's more of a trampoline sermon. We'll start and use this as our trampoline into the subject, but it would be valuable perhaps for those of you who've never read the parable of the sower, or the soils as I call it, and if you don't like what I'm preaching, you can read the words of Jesus. They are always great. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject titled CSI Madrid. Crime Scene Investigation is a popular show in three different cities, and this one is Madrid. And what is the crime that I'm speaking of? What's the problem? What do we need to investigate? Well, just as a way of introducing you, bringing you to my country, my adopted dear country of 20 years, there's been a crime that happened too recently that happened in the last 10 years. One was, as those of you remember, 911 days after 9-11, Al-Qaeda planted bombs on commuter trains, the same trains my daughters used to go to school. Um, So it's quite a scary, brings it right to home when you know your daughters are riding on those trains. 191 people died. It changed the elections that year. It was three days before national presidential elections, and it totally changed the face of that and the face of Spain in many ways, just like it has in the United States, uh, the trade tower bombings. And though Spain has 
felt the magnitude and the perpetrators were different. Spain actually endured 800 losses. 800 people died over 30 years at the hands of Basque terrorists in Spain. People, a small group of people in the northern uh, group, people group of the Basque who wanted independence from Spain and have. And during the last 30 years. So Spain is steeled and calloused, as it were, against this kind of violence. But it still leaves a mark to this day. Then there was another crime that happened last summer. Not as serious, an accidental one, if you want to call it that. A a train conductor was talking on his mobile phone, driving a high-speed train, going 190 miles an hour. And he needed to slow way down in a curve going into Santiago de Compostela. And because he was talking to a conductor back in the back of the train, he missed that slowdown. And 90 people died, 80 people died, sorry, and 171 people were injured. And in this case, it was accidental. It wasn't intentional. But it shows to show that we shouldn't drive and talk on our phones, especially if you're training. You train the conductors out here. Don't do it. The reality, though, is that these two crimes, one intentional and one unintentional, have been discovered and investigated, and now we know the reasons. But for the victims, it doesn't much matter how it happened. The impact is still the same. The loss to one's family, to one's personal life, is still the same. And as I share today about why Spain is so spiritually unreceptive to the gospel of Christ, you need to understand what's happened. And though maybe it won't make a difference other than just knowing, the tragedy is still a reality that most Spaniards today reject the gospel of Christ. You need to understand why that is. Why And why in a land that's so attractive? Spain is a very productive land. Agricultural exports in these last four years are what's saving our economy. We've increased agricultural exports. We're now selling the best best stuff, the best wine, the best oil, the best fruit and vegetables, the best ham. We're now selling it to the foreign market because it comes at a premium and it's good business and the Asian markets have increased. And this is really holding up our economy right now. We went... In the domino effect of 2008, Spain went into the same toilet, and we haven't gotten out yet. We still have 25% unemployment in Spain. The reality of what we're facing on an economic level is tremendous. We're trying. Fortunately, tourism is good in Spain, and Spain was third last year in the number of tourists in the world. 57 million people came to Spain. Thank you very much. We need every one of them to spend their money and see the beautiful sights of Spain. If you'd like to see some of those sights and hear some of the the music of Spain sung by my wife and myself on Saturday night, we will be at the Lake Show with Scott. So that's a, a little plug. But back to our point. If Spain is so much good land, we're not a highly densely populated country, and we have such good land, why on the spiritual level has the harvest been so poor? Why is it that even in the Roman Catholic tradition, of which Spain has a strong history, Only 10 or 15% of those who consider themselves Catholics participate regularly and practice their faith. Most of the people that I know don't. What has happened? Why is there this crisis of belief? Well, I submit to you that Spain is a lot like one of the soils in the parable of the soils. What are the four kinds of soils that are in the parable of the soils? The sower went out to sow his seed and some of the seed fell along the the path. 
That's the first one. That's the one I want to focus on. We know so well about the thorns. We know so well about the rocky soil. And we pray to God that we maintain ourselves as fertile soil for the grace and gospel of God in our lives, right? But I want to submit to you today simply that Spain is a lot like the path. And I want to explain why. Because history still makes a difference. Well, Spain, I mean... The path has two characteristics that Jesus spoke of in the, sero, in the, in the parable. The soil, the seed fell on the, on the path and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air came and ate the seed, Jesus said. Now, what are the birds of the air? Do you remember what Jesus said they, the birds of the air represented? He interpreted his own, his own parable in this case because the disciples didn't quite understand him. And if you look there in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The reality is is that we find these extravagant expressions of God's love have been demonstrated in in the last 30 years in Spain's history. But the soil has been packed down over centuries And it's a lot like the path. And we have this desperate sense that these good seeds, these extravagant acts of love that evangelicals have done, and that now the Roman Catholic Church is trying to do among young people, the response is so little, so few. Spain is trampled down. And we find that the weight of Spain's history is what causes the soil to be packed down, trampled on. And although history is ancient, sometimes history has a lot to do with how we think and feel today. And I believe that's still the case in Spain. What is the weight of Spain's history? As you know, in the year 1492, what happened? Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? Well, two other things happened that year that were fundamental to Spain's history. One was that the Moors were defeated in Granada and expelled the final kingdom of the Moors on Spanish soil. But probably a more dark and definitive, in my book, result of history is that in 1492, King and Queen Isabella and Ferdinand signed the Edict of Expulsion. Out of their zeal for purity, out of their zeal for their faith, they forced all of the Jews in Spain to either convert or leave. So in the space of three months, they had to decide, sell their belongings and leave. And so we had a massive exodus of 250,000 Jews left Spain. And 12 years later, they may have signed an edict that expelled all of the Moors that were left and living in different cities in Spain. Either convert or leave. The effects of this kind of act, while ancient, were fundamental in Spain's history. Both socially and sociologically, it, it cut the feet, you know, you cut your nose off to spite your face. They lost all of the artisans, all of the mechan- all the engineers of the day. They lost all the merchants. And Spain basically dug its own grave. Because although we entered that century of the 1500s, and it was a glorious century in Spain's history for art and literature, for exploration, and the gold that flowed into Spain, we had already sold ourselves, already sealed the fate of Spain, and so Spain into the 1600s waned and has never gained the same kind of weight in history as it did then. Unfortunately, along with that zeal for purity came a lack of freedom of religion, came this expulsion, came violence in the name of Christ. 
however well intended, the Inquisition, which rooted out, first of all, heresy within the Roman Church, then was turned toward those who were supposedly false believers or false converts among the Jews and among the Muslims. And then it was aimed at those who dared to ask that the Scriptures be taught and translated into their own tongue. And so wave upon wave of hardness, wave upon wave of trampling on spiritual aspirations, on spiritual freedom and liberty. And Spain's spirituality, unfortunately, during that time, was works-based and guilt-oriented, socially controlling and politically motivated. And it's had a profound impact. And if it was only ancient history, maybe we could say that that it doesn't have that much effect. But it's happened now in the 20th century that Spain had a civil war in the middle of the 20th century. This is Picasso's Guernica, which is in the museum in Madrid. The horrors of war. Spain had a civil war before the Second World War. That's why it didn't participate in the Second World War. And this second, this civil war pit brother against brother, town against town, region against region, kind of like the civil war of the United States. It was a fratricide. And some of the bad feelings and some of the hatred that people had toward religion was confirmed in this time. The nationalists won and established under General Franco a national Catholic state. And from 39 to 75, Spain was a dictatorship with no freedom of religion or freedom of thought. And though we have enjoyed 35 years now of democracy since 1978, there is no doubt that that weight of history, that trampling, still has weight and meaning in many lives today. I was in Seaford, Delaware just before coming here. See, for Delaware's 4,900 people. And there's the first Spaniard I've met on my tours through churches was there in Seaford. His name is Jose Bayon. He's 70-something and he came to Spain, came to the United States betting on love. Fell in love with a woman here. And he's in Seaford, Delaware, a little town. He feels trapped here. He wants to go back to Spain. But as I shared with him and talked to him about his experience, he is typical of many that has rejected faith in God. What are Spaniards like? I'm not speaking about those who are practicing Catholics. There are 10 or 15% of the population that are so. But I'm speaking about the vast majority of my friends. I sing in a choir. 60 people. And of those 60 people, only two would be considered practicing Catholics that attend Mass with any regularity. The rest have jettisoned faith. They've left it behind. Most of them are suspicious of those who've whether who talk about Christ, whether they're Roman Catholic or Protestant, they think we're out to make them think what they think, to force them to think what we think, to bother them until they do. Most Spaniards are what I call apatheists, like play on words. Path, the word path, we're playing with the word path. A path would be no path is the right way, right? Apathetic is who cares about the path? And apatheist is a word I've coined to describe most of my friends. In Spain, who cares whether God exists or not? It's an irrelevant question. It's not something they want to spend time even talking about. Would that more Spaniards were excited about arguing with me about faith issues. Would that they would try to convince me. But no, most Spaniards, for them it's irrelevant. They really don't want to talk about it. Some of them because of the hardship they've experienced themselves. And some of them because they're proud and stubborn and suspicious. 
My friend Tony says that of himself. That's how he described himself before he met Christ. Proud, stubborn, and suspicious. He said, God, for most of us, is like the government, the federal government. It is too big, too far away, too angry, and too impersonal. And the church is like a notary public. You have to go there from time to time to get documents signed, and you have to pay more than you should. For many of my friends who have left faith, the concept of a relationship with God is strange. They don't understand what that doesn't even make sense to them. And they need to see it. They need to see it in real life. So what do you do in the face of that? Well, one of the things we have to resort to is prayer. Intercessory prayer. One of my purposes as I travel among Alliance churches during this year of home assignment, we go back in June, is to ask for your intercession for Spain. Maybe you've already started praying since Nancy Martinez was here among you two or three years ago. I ask you to continue to intercede for Spain. There are good things that are happening, and I'll share those with you now. But intercessory prayer is God's supernatural soil improvement strategy. And we need you to help us to continue to see God break up the hard, trampled soil from history and make it fertile again. But I'm excited because God himself is at work. It's not just our prayer. God is always working, as Jesus said. And we are to be about seeing what God is up to. And he has been working in these last five years in Spain through three major ways. Through crises, through servant leadership, and through immigration. That's the C, the S, and the I that I want to talk about today. The CSI Madrid. First of all, crises. Here's a crisis that's about to happen. This is at the running of the bulls in Pamplona. I did not take the photo. I got it from a friend. They're actually standing behind a barrier, so they're not going to get hit. But it's a great photo. I tell most people we don't go running with the bulls, not because of the bulls. It's mostly because of all the people that are running. Most of them have been drinking all night, so you can't trust the people you're running with. Uh, The bulls know where they want to go. They want to go straight ahead, but everybody else sometimes can't control themselves. So that's what we tell people. When they come to serve in Spain, we don't let them usually run with the bulls if they're under our responsibility. But crises, God allows crises in our lives. Why? To cause us, to to push us toward greater dependence on Christ or for those of us who don't know Christ, to bring them to faith. Let me just share one example. I don't have time for more. One example of a crisis that brings people to faith. And you can relate to this. We've had many. Esther as an example. Esther is uh, a neighbor from us, uh, from our church, our Global Venture Center that you saw in the video. Caddy corner from our building is her building, and she's in the basement of another apartment building. The business she owns is a painting business. It's a family business. They paint apartments. We all live in apartments mostly. They're owned. They're condominium style, but she paints and repaints. Uh, and in the crisis of 2008, they began to have real difficulties financially. One day in 2010, I met her on the street. We were crossing the street, met her there, and we were talking. She was sharing with me. She's kind of a worrywart, anxious woman. She was just pouring out her fear about losing her business. Her father and mother started it. She does it with her husband and her brother. They depend on this. Their families depend on this business for their livelihood. And so I took a risk, as I often do, and I asked Esther if I could pray for her. Her son comes to our boys' club, uh, so we knew the family as acquaintances. But that day, she was really distraught. And so I paused and I said, Esther, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And I said, no, can I pray for you right now? Now, 
I have a, a habit of doing this, of embracing what I call the awkward moment, where when somebody shares a need with you, of taking that moment, embracing it, and praying for them. With them. In this case, in Esther's case, I said something as simple as, Heavenly Father, I'm really upset about what Esther's going through. I want to intercede for you and ask that you would help her, help her with her business, help her to push through this and pull through this. I know you care about her, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Short and sweet. You don't preach at somebody. You just go before God and intercede in their presence before God. What does that do? It does some very important things. It tells them that you believe God cares, that you believe He's here right now, that He's interested in what we're all about, that He cares about our daily life. Those are very important truths to communicate Especially if you're not preaching it. You're just showing it by example and by caring. Well, in that crisis, God did respond. And her business is flourishing to this day. But the more important thing in terms of her faith was that a couple weeks later, I saw her on the street. She was grateful for my prayer. She talked about it with her family. She'd never had anybody pray for her anytime out loud like that. So she was touched. I invited her to come to a Reformation Sunday service, October 31st. We did it with another local church. She came. I preached on Romans 5. She came back the next week and gave her life to Christ. So there was a crisis that brought her to a place where we could touch her life. God could touch her life in a way that meant something very real to her. We need to build bridges of trust with people that can stand the weight of truth in a moment of crisis. If you build those bridges of trust, people will know where to go when they have trouble, when they don't know what to do. I praise God for these many lives that have come into the kingdom, that even though Spain's soil is hard, that there has been response through crises. Secondly, servant leadership. Service. Servant leadership, as we know in the church, as Jesus exemplified it, is this downward mobility This downward service, this downward um, movement is the key to upward mobility in the kingdom. But outside of the church context, service is very important. We call it our kiss. In Spain, we greet each other with kisses. I'm not going to make you do it. Sometimes I do, but we don't have time to to do that right now. But you see, K-I-S-S, they're called besitos. We greet each other with kisses in Spain. So we use this concept of besitos to talk to our local folk, our people, about the fact that this kind of kisses are fertilizer for soil improvement. Kindness, integrity, service, sincere love. These are the kinds of things that touch people's heart. You see, for many people who, have, who are not willing to give their own faith tradition another chance, they've grown up and maybe suffered under it or don't, see it or see hypocrisy in it, they, if they're going to come to Christ, they're going to need some other way. They've closed that door perhaps and God has put us in Spain to help them perhaps open that door to Christ again. We show kindness and integrity in our business and the way we act and the way we parent our children. We show service and sincere love to them. It makes a huge difference. Tenderness is subversive. Walking the walk is subversive. Those kinds of acts of random kindness are subversive in a positive way for the kingdom. They undermine what people think about God. They undermine what people think about our judgmentalness, being judgmental. They undermine the negative ideas that people have of our faith. 
They are vital as fertilizer for the soul. We need to build bridges of trust that can stand the weight of truth. This takes a big effort, my brothers and sisters. Don't underestimate, though, its effects. In Spain, we usually invite those who are our friends. Most of our friends are not those who are practicing Catholics. We have lots of friends who are. But those who are interested in helping come to know Christ are those that are antagonistic toward the faith. And so we invite them first to come see our cell groups, our small groups, not our church service. Because most Spaniards, if they've grown up in the Roman tradition, they really don't know the Bible or they don't know enough to, to, they just want to compare. They want to compare the two kinds of worship services, which is fine. We can compare pros and cons. But really what we want is for people to see the essence of faith. And so we invite them to come, first of all, to small groups. Why? Because in the small group, they see things that they've never seen before. They see people participating. It's not led by one person. It's a group participation talking about what this pastor talked about on Sunday. Then they pray for each other. They share requests for each other, with each other and pray for one another. They see participation. They see caring. They see um, shared leadership. And those are all things that are attractive to Spaniards because they haven't seen that in their own expression or in the way they were raised. So for some, though, some, it is a real encounter for them to understand and open their hearts. So, fertilizer for soil improvement, service, servant leadership. And finally, immigration. Immigration is one of God's ways of moving people around. God moves people around to accomplish His purposes, doesn't He? Whether it's calling me from Hong Kong, where I grew up, to go and be a missionary in Spain. Whether it's bringing you from wherever you're from to Erie, Pennsylvania. Maybe you came kicking and screaming. But maybe this is the place where God got a hold of you and brought you to the place where you needed to be. And maybe God will, to accomplish His purposes, take you away from Erie, Pennsylvania to somewhere else. God loves to move people around. He has been. He went the whole distance with us, didn't he? To save our souls. And so God loves to move people around. And immigrants have come to Spain by the millions. In 1996, Spain had a new government. It changed. It became much more economically favorable. And by 2000, um, 1998, we had immigrants coming from South America. Their economies were going downhill then. And so we had four and a half million immigrants come into Spain in the last 10 years. 15 years, actually. They've been leaving now in the last five because of the crisis. But those 10 years of four and a half million immigrants, many of them North Africans, and we have a strong team in the alliance working among North Africans in Barcelona. I'll tell you more about that this week. Then we also have a group from Eastern Europe that came in for a while. Now they've gone back into Eastern Europe because most of those nations are part of the European Union now. But the large group that has stayed are South Americans from Ecuador, from Peru, from Colombia, from Venezuela, from Chile and Argentina. They've come to find a new life, come to take advantage of opportunities. Many of them married Spaniards. And fortunately for the kingdom's sake, many of them were Christians. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them were from Alliance churches in those countries. And they came to Spain with a heart to serve, looking for a better life, but they came ready also to, to, to live out their lives in front of Spaniards. And God, through that immigration, changed the proportion. What's the, how many people would a Spaniard have to meet before they meet a, a, a real live Christian, a real live bleeding person? Uh, we have many friends, Roman Catholic friends, who were born again. But even with that, the percentage was one in a hundred. You didn't meet a hundred Spaniards before you met a, a person who was walking in the Spirit of God. But now that has been reduced 
to about half that because of the number of immigrants, the opportunities that Spaniards have to see a real life, to see kindness, to see integrity, to build bridges with somebody who knows and has deep faith in Jesus. That's improved, and we're so grateful for the immigrants that God has brought. They have filled the pews, as it were, among Spanish churches and have been a real blessing to us all. Some of my deepest friends and many of those immigrants who came looking for a better job found Christ as well. Through the crisis of their own lives, they came to faith in Christ. We praise God for his move of immigration. So we see that although the soil, because of history, because of the resentment created by the weight of history in Spain, has been intense, God is moving. God is changing things. God is changing the face and the heart of the Roman Catholic Church in Spain for the, for the better. But besides that, God is using crises and immigration and servant leadership. The next slide, please. CSI. Oh, I, I, you're right. You're, I'm sorry. Yeah. Crises, servant leadership, and immigration as his way of breaking up the hard path-like soil in Spain. So we're excited. And I want to be there until I see God move in a mighty way as he has among the gypsies in Spain. We want to see God move among the other people and other language groups in Spain. That's our desire and our hope. Brothers and sisters, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so we live our lives out in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ through crises, through servant leadership, through immigration. We are light for the world and we are light for Spain. And we ask you to intercede for us and with us as we see God break up the path like soil. We have a team in Spain of missionaries, and I hope on Saturday night to show you all their pictures in Portugal and Italy and Spain now. We have missionaries from 11 different countries working under the alliance there. And I'd love to have you introduce you to these exciting things that God is doing through them.